0: Welcome back to In Our Own Defense podcast, where your host Attorney AD Winners and Dr. Dolores Tarver. We're here with uh, Judge Carlos Moore. He's a judge in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and uh, in Grenada, Mississippi. He's also uh, the management partner of the Cochran Law Firm in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, and he's here um, helping us unpack this racism and administration of justice. Uh, welcome back, Judge. Uh, I really want to talk to you, Judge. Um, there's so much happening in the world. we got COVID, we've got a pandemic. And we got these racial protests that's happening in the aftermath of another killing of an unarmed African American, um, with Mr. Floyd and countless others, um, and not and, and Brianna Taylor. Uh, and we're living in a moment in which uh, there's constant protest. It's been a perfect sp- storm where African Americans' voices is being reverberated and echoed uh, with allies. Uh, and this has been. Uh, through this this constant protesting, worldwide protests, and international concerns, international um, uh, condemnation, um, you know, defunding or, or, or reshifting the balance of budgets from police forces to put in those mental health uh, capacities, we're hearing a lot of that uh, happen. Um, but one of the biggest concerns is that when African Americans are being uh, uh, assassinated, murdered, killed, slain. Uh, at the hands of police, uh, they get to court, and the court says, well, they have a qualified immunity, and, and the U.S. Supreme Court first introduced this qualified immunity doctrine in 1967 originally um, with the rationale of protecting law enforcement from frivolous lawsuits and financial liability in cases where they acted in good faith, and then over the course of time, that is just, that doctrine has developed into a series of judicial decisions, several of which uh, where you had the qualified immunity shield from policy, uh, and they started; they it shifted to, via, constitutional. Um, via, they had they would not have liability uh, uh, for constitutional violations unless it um, a reasonable officer would have behaved, believed that there was unconstitutionality of his actions were clearly established. I was like, what does that even mean, uh, and 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 what. What do you think about qualified immunity, uh, um, Your Honor? Yeah, uh, the uh,
1: qualified immunity is something has been a bane of my existence uh, since I've been a civil rights lawyer for the past 14 years. Uh, We go up against officers and that's the first thing they're going to uh, uh, plead is qualified immunity, uh, usually in their cases, in the civil cases when you're trying to hold them and the cities uh, liable. Uh, for their actions in killing unarmed black men or women, uh, whatever it may be. It may be some that survived, but they were brutalized or victims of excessive force. But the first hurdle we have to cross is qualified immunity, and we have to show uh, that there was a similar case in our circuit. I'm in the Fifth Circuit in Mississippi, but Mississippi, Texas, and Louisiana, we're all in the federal Fifth Circuit. So we have to show that either the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals or the U.S. Supreme Court uh, has already declared that that course of action is unconstitutional. If this occurs a first impression uh they get off i mean they get qualified immunity because it has not been clearly established that what they did was uh uh illegal uh unconstitutional so you basically get and if you can create a scenario where it's a, a first impression and you can act like you're knowing it better you get out uh, a lot and it doesn't matter if it happened in the 11th circuit the 11th. Atlanta. Just say so you're in Atlanta. You're the 11th circuit. If somebody has if something has been declared unconstitutional in Atlanta, it doesn't affect us in Mississippi. Uh, and so you get off
0: because it's, it has it's not been declared illegal in your particular circuit. And so that's the bad thing about it. It's 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 exhausting. Are, are you? Uh, I know that you're aware. In the Supreme Court, there's like eight cases that are happening right now that are available. Uh, that they're waiting to get the four vote to get them onto the, the docket at the Supreme Court. We have uh, Justice Sotomayor uh, and another justice, they're saying that we need to have these cases, we need to relook at it. Uh, you know, essentially the critics, it's almost like a catch 22 uh, and victim to these victims and their families that have been executed in, in a lot of cases. Uh, it's like heads, the police win and tails, you lose. It, you know, it's that, that uh, and Justice Clarence Thomas you know, uh, the court's most conservative member has called for a revisiting of the of qualified immunity. And I, that's really telling with his new position when he helped uh, turn the tide on Louisiana and Oregon who had that non-unanimous jury uh, for these these big crimes uh, and they were going at 10 to two route. And so to have, and Justice uh, Thomas voted uh, for uh, to make it unanimous and he spoke uh, very eloquent in that. And I don't know if his, in his older age, his biracial children now are coming in the fold and he's realizing that this is dangerous uh, to have us out here, uh, that if we don't make these pollutes go checked. Uh, and so I think that's two, two more to just vote those cases on, those eight cases. So that's that's going to be uh, interesting. Are you aware of any legislation that may be um, promulgated right now that, that may help get rid of qualified immunity judge?
1: Yeah, I've been reading about legislation that I believe Senators Harris and Booker and maybe Markey were going to introduce or have introduced uh, in Congress uh, to do away with the qualified immunity. Uh, It's either a bill or a resolution calling for the end of qualified immunity. So I've been encouraged by that. I hope it goes somewhere uh, in Congress uh, because qualified immunity is a creature of the Supreme Court. But if Congress comes in and and, and, and declares that it shouldn't be looked at a uh, does way with it by law, uh, they have followed the law. So uh, hopefully if we don't get it through the Supreme Court, we can get some release through Congress.
0: Definitely. And, and so I think there is some, you know, uh, you know, to Dr. Tarver, to a lay person, you know, this is exciting news that we have some of the, you know, you're kind of on the inside of watching. Uh, uh, nobody wants to see how law is made, you know, it's almost like watching sausage made. So the, the, what the Supreme Court is Ebb and, and flowing toward that route, and then we have a congressional route. So, two of the three, you know, branches of government are looking forward to, to trying to do that. That's really powerful that the Supreme Court overturns that. Uh, and then, uh, if, if we get a law, like the judge said, that's really exciting too. Speaking of laws, uh, this week uh, we had, uh, while there's still absolutely no arrest and accountability being held in the Brianna Taylor, say her name, um, Louisville uh unanimously uh the city metro council there in louisville louisville uh kentucky uh voted unanimously uh the brianna taylor law to get rid and ban and abolish no knock warrants they're, they're disturbing to me at the outset to me it's just a complete violation of the fourth amendment it turns in the face of everything we learn. this is not terrorism but they they told us to be careful once you start giving up some of your rights you kind of give away all of them. They didn't go to a FISA court. They get to go to their buddies, their fishing buddy judge to get a warrant signed or or maybe even just a magistrate, you know, that they get to get a no-knock warrant. Can you tell our our listeners essentially what what is the quick version? What is a no-knock warrant, Judge?
1: Basically, you get to barge in someone's house unannounced, and that's exactly what they did to Breonna Taylor. Uh, So they would have had to give the facts to the judge, tell the judge who they were looking for, or where they were going, and why they needed to uh, get in the house unannounced. Uh, and some judge uh, heard the facts uh, read the facts and, and signed a warrant. And they went to Breonna Taylor's house looking for her boyfriend, I believe, uh, who was accused, uh, suspected of a crime. And the bad thing about it, they should have known if they go into the girlfriend's house, she could be in the house. She's an EMT. She hadn't done anything wrong. So if you go in there uh, and they're in the bed together or somewhere close together, uh, you could possibly harm her. And so she ends up getting killed. She was not even a suspect. And so they took no thought about her life and went in that house and killed that girl. Uh, and if you, with a no-knock warrant, nobody knows who's coming in. They don't know if it's law enforcement or an intruder. So you're going to pull your gun and try to defend yourself. You have, and specifically we have a council doctrine, so your house is your council uh, and you have the right to shoot any intruders. And so you're setting yourself up for a disaster uh, with the no-knock warrant. So I'm glad to see uh, that the legislation um not only the city council there in Louisville has passed uh, uh, an act forbidding uh, the no-knock warrants from being issued, but I understand now that Senator Paul Rand has introduced uh, some legislation in Congress and the Senate uh, to outlaw uh, the no-knock warrant. So that's even better for across the country.
0: Yeah, the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act is what uh, Senator Rand Paul, uh, he has, he's offered. Uh, he's also the same one who, you know, said it was too vague for the anti-lynching than it did last week. But that is some good news. Uh, I'm sure that his constituents uh, almost forced his hand. That's very popular with the constituents there. But but it is it is a high time that we eliminate those. We got to eradicate those. Those things yeah. are disturbing. And and like you said, the council doctrine. Supreme Court said your home is the sacrosanct. It's that sacrosanct sanatorium. It's more important than the church. This is your home. This is the place we should be free. The Fourth Amendment was created, just so we could be free in our, our, our papers and our persons and our property. We should be free from this. And they bust in. And what was what was so disturbing is that after this baby, she's a baby to me, um, it, after she, this lady's dead, they found out that the suspect that they were looking for, because they weren't even looking for her boyfriend, the suspect wow. that they were looking for was already in custody, Judge. Wow, that's even worse, okay. It's worse, it's horrible. That's why no-knock warrants don't have a place. There's no value to them. We always said that, you learned this in law school, just like I did, Judge, that that you would rather let countless guilty people go free, then you end up putting the one innocent person in harm's way, there's no reason. There's no reason for high-speed chases. You know, when you're gonna end up hurting some people in traffic, you gotta make sure that you back off. In Houston, the same thing happened They they actually got the suspect, they pulled the no-knock warrant, they bust in claiming it was all of this dope they were going to find. It was just these two old white people, They they were selling, you know, they were selling marijuana, but they bust in on them. The people thought it was an intruder. They shoot at the police. The police lay, oh God, just a SWAT blazed these people to death, just countless bullets and found out that the person the police officer lied lied in the warrant lied and said he he had seen all of this pounds and pounds and almost a ton of marijuana it was just so you know elaborate lie and you know these officers were killed these people are dead the the, the, the people in their home were dead and they end up charging that officer that, you know, it just, it was so much consternation in Houston that they ended up charging, uh, that officer. I, I just, I don't think there's any way to, uh, to be concerned about where I stand on it. I hate no warrants. The home is sacrosanct. Um, uh, your honor this week, speaking of, of, of the home, uh, this week, um, and, and not to violate your attorney client privilege, but this is public record that I've noticed I've watched, um, um there's been a lot of Gen Zs, these Generation Zs, they've gone to school our kids. They are essentially the same as our kids. These kids, this new generation, that hate is not trickling down like they thought it would. That racism is a little bit tough. You know, a lot of well-to-do uh, uh, people like you and Dr. Tarver, all that money you guys have. You guys can send your kids to these great schools, and, and you have all this money. So if anybody's post-racial, you guys are, because you're like, hey, hey. My kid can go anywhere he wants to, I could feed, I can do anything, but what ends up happening is these kids now just love each other, white, black, green, blue. And then if you do something to harm their friends on the football team, a basketball team, or whatever setting their classmates, they are checking their parents. And, and, and I've seen on the internet one girl, you know, videotaped her parents and, and their racial racist comments. And then uh, most recently there's a Kaylee Smith Uh, She exposes her parents' racism there in Mississippi in Jones County, which is supposed to be the free state of Jones from the movie, uh, but Jones County, um, and and the county came back and arrested this girl for electronic transmission of something that caused some sort of threat. I I couldn't even read the law. I was like, this is exhausting, just the law. Whenever you have a law that's tongue twisted like that, it's exhausting. So you're like, this is crap. And so you had the privilege of, of helping with the representation. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that if that's not a violation of attorney-client privilege?
1: Yeah, it's been in the news uh, that she was arrested uh, initially for a felony uh, for posting uh, injurious messages uh, uh, to Facebook uh, and, and they were saying she had the intent for her parents to be be harmed by posting the messages. That law was struck down and it's unconstitutional in April of this year by the Mississippi Court of Appeals, saying it was too broad and uh, it was effect, uh, limiting people's First Amendment rights. Uh, and so when they found out that they couldn't get on a felony, they downgraded it to two counts, two misdemeanor counts, uh, posting obscene messages via electronic medium. And I'm still trying to figure out what was their obscenity. She simply posted the truth. Now, what was obscene is what her father called black people. That's obscene. But all she did was publish, publish the truth. So... Uh, it was sad, 20 years old, her parents filed papers against her and she goes to jail when you have it on video, her stepmother is beating her for being an in-lover as her father called her uh, and nobody goes to jail for assault and battery but you have somebody who just outs the racist in their family and they go they go to jail in the free state of Com- Jones County, so that's pretty sad so we came to her assistance um, her, her biological mother reached out to one of my colleagues who's an attorney in Chicago, he flew down he knew he needed Mississippi assistance or somebody licensed in Mississippi, so he asked me to assist, and so I, I drove down, and uh, we had a press conference yesterday. Uh, just a very threat of us coming down uh, made the judge release her from jail on Thursday evening. We did a social media campaign, and uh, the media picked it up, and people were just outraged that she would be sitting in jail for a made-up crime, and so the judge let her out uh, the day before we got down there when he saw that we were doing a campaign because it was inexplicable. It was unjust, and he knew there was no reason she should be in jail. As a judge, I would have never signed that warrant. I mean, it, it makes no sense that a judge would do so. And sometimes I think we need to do away with judicial immunity because police officers have qualified immunity, but we almost have absolute immunity as judges. I mean, whatever we do, uh, we cannot be held responsible for it. Now, prosecutors have prosecutorial immunity, but there are some exceptions to that, but judges have almost, uh, what we have is almost paramount to absolute immunity. No matter what we do, who we harm, If we have that robe on and we do it, it's nothing nobody can do to us about it. And that's
0: pretty bad. That's disturbing. I, I, you know, watched that with this judge in Louisiana. Um, She was, you know, just, she was racist. Like, no ifs ands and buts about it. Right outside of Baton Rouge. She resigned because the the people, she was a district court judge. That's big court to us uh, in Louisiana. And, and uh, the masses just got after her just every day until we got her to resign Uh, because she was going to have to go before the Judiciary Council. And I used to represent the Judiciary Council uh, as Assistant Attorney General. I uh, represented them in in certain uh, aspects. Uh, And it's just, it's unconscionable to have someone with that kind of power and influence over our lives, over the citizenry's lives, that we allowed these people to go unchecked. That's just, you know, no disrespect to judges, Your Honor, but that's disturbing. No mental health training. Nobody's training. training. And now you can do whatever you want to do. No consequences. You know, going unchecked. Uh, This has been my my favorite show, and I know it so much that that we try to uh, unpack in this show. Uh, Judge, we're so thankful, uh, really, to have you on this show. Uh, there, there's a couple of things we've got to, we always try to, on this show, Dr. Tarver and I, we, we do our best to try to lead the people with some takeaways, the so what analysis, I always call it. We've, just, we've done this show. So what we want to lead people with a way forward. So w- what are some way forwards for, you know, whether it's Grenada County, Mississippi, or the United States of America, what are some ways for it, considering these unarmed African-Americans being killed, consider this disqualified immunity that police officers have, considering, um, um some of these, these uh, damning things that are happening in our society where it's constantly happening upon people that look like us, uh, what are some ways for, what, what do you think that we can do to help eradicate some of this, this, this problem?
1: It's gonna have to be a change in, in policy. Um, the racism is systemic, so we have to dismantle some of these systems. Uh, we have to recognize white supremacy has affected most of the uh, institutions of government. Uh, uh, institutions and pillars of government and society and we have to recognize that and I believe after George Floyd, we have finally got to that first step of recognizing we have a problem. We have been in denial uh, white America has been in denial for a long time but you can see by the protest and who's protesting that they now see that we have a problem and so now that they recognize it, I believe we can deal with it because we have long known as the victims uh, uh, of of the white supremacy that there was a problem but they seem to not know what they were doing to us uh, but now they know, and we're going to work together in tandem to change some policy. We need to follow up with the demonstrations. I applaud the peaceful protests protest that Black Lives Matters have uh, uh, led across the country. Uh, but now it's time for those of us in the advocacy realm to uh, uh, assist them and lead them and get in the Congress and some of these state legislatures and city councils to get legislative changes um, uh and then we need to fight for judicial changes, whether judges have the RAM to make some changes to Supreme Court or otherwise, we need to make those changes judicially. So we need a lot of, uh, a lot of reform and, and some people saying defunding, dismantling some of the systems and just rebuilding them from the ground up. Because sometimes it's so convoluted that you can't reform something that's so bad, it, it has to be totally destroyed and built anew. So we need to decide uh, what can be destroyed, what, can be herilita- what needs to be destroyed and what needs to be rehabilitated and what needs to be just totally uh, built from the ground up.
0: Yes, and and I would offer uh, Judge that, you know, from a um, from a structured way, from our military service, you know, uh, working at these U.S. embassies throughout the world. One of the things that we always did, and, and the embassies that U.S. embassies do across the the world, is we advocate for certain aspects of our uh, our interest, our American interest. One of the things that uh, we were consistently doing in Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia was that we were uh, we would tell them, our ambassador and, and the staff, amb- those ambassadorial staff, we would tell these countries, hey, you need to return Jewish artifacts. You need to do this as it relates to these artifacts that were stolen from Jews in uh, World War II, and you need to return those immediately. You have them in museums. You need to turn them, return them to Israel. And, um, and, and, and we have gotten away with doing that for decades and decades and decades, decades since uh, World War II. And, and con- you know, countries were uh, capitulating because they were concerned about that American dollar. Are we going to give them some sort of subsidies or gifts or grants or loans or whatever? Uh, are we going to give them military weaponry? So they'll capitulate and say, look, I'll be glad to give away this if you can give me some money. But what happened uh, recently, what I started noticing in my latter part of my, uh, uh, my NBC staff work was that people started saying, uh, when you do right by African-Americans, when you start giving reparations to African-Americans, when you give them land, when you do right by them, then you can contact us and tell us what to do with the things that we may have fall short from grace from. Um, I think so on an international level, I believe that there's something that needs to be done that we need to speak one voice through, you know, Congressional Black Caucus, Black Lives Matter, NAACP, National Urban League. We have to have this stuff promulgated, my suggestion, and it has to be promulgated in things like World Court, International Court of Human Rights. Uh, these things have to be taken to an international realm because that can, that can change it, number one. Number two, take the UN out of the US, take the United Nations, and make it go to Brussels, let it be in Brussels, then we don't have that that at home, home cooking as it were, as we call it in the courtroom. You don't get to do that. If we take that on an international level, then people can hear us better, not from in here, they get to hear us from out here. And then if we we focus on a national, certain things are are, are, are monolithic, there's across the board. Every African-American wants safety of their children. We want an education for our children. We want a safe home. We want uh, a means a workable, livable wage, some income, not as much as you and Dr. Tarver, but, but just some, some morsels that we want to be able to go buy a sandwich or something. So, you know, we want, we have those tenants that are just simple tenants across the board. When our kids leave the house, just being black, they should be expected to come home. When kids are leaving the home, it's almost like they're going to war that if you're about to get deployed, or you're, about to, you're in some dangerous job, and that you have to worry about their safety. We have this thing in our country called the talk. Well, we as African Americans have to have a talk with our sons and now our daughters. We have to have a talk with them about somebody potentially taking their life when they're doing something innocuous. Oh, I don't care if they've even breaking the law. That's not a way to take your life. That's not, you can't execute anybody judge. Now you're an officer of the court like I am. You're an officer of the court. You had to go and graduate from high school with good enough grades to get you into a real good college. You had to graduate from college with real good grades to be able to get accepted into a law school. You had to take the LSAT to get accepted into law school. You had to graduate and learn enough in law school to pass a bar. Then you had to pass a character and fitness and a background check that was like a secu- secret security clearance to, in order to sit for the bar. Then you took the bar and you had to pass it. After you passed the bar, you had to get sworn in. And then you have to bend on this straight and narrow because you can get your law license taken in a heartbeat. You can get a guy with a GED. And he can go into the courthouse and call himself an officer of the court, and he's been racist, Billy Bob, backwards ass, and, and, and excuse my language. But they get to do this, and they get to walk into a courtroom and lie half the time and exaggerate. And people go to jail for tons and tons and decades of years for something that they should have got help with. I, it's, it's frustrating, Judge, and we need a way forward powerful, and we need something powerful that's institutionalized. You have to fight institutions with institutions. So you were talking, in, in one instance, you talk about uh, um, a law institute or center of excellence uh, that you're trying to birth. Is, is there any way, what can we do to help you, and can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, before I do that, I can tell you about that, but I meant to say a way forward, and you mentioned it, uh, reparations. I believe America's problem is that we are trying to get to uh, forgiveness without atonement. There cannot really be true forgiveness and without atonement, and you cannot go against Scripture. There needs to be some atonement. I mean, the Jews have gotten their atonement. Japanese got their atonement from America, but blacks have not gotten our atonement. And we built this country. We got over here 400 years ago, spent 200 some years as as. Another 100 years in the Jim Crow and uh, Jim Crow era, and then we still going through this era of police brutality and excessive force, so um, America needs to pay, his, pay what's due, and w- once we have atonement, we can go forward, but you cannot offend your brother and not ask for forgiveness and, and, and pay your debt and, and think you're just, just going to be all right. That's just, That goes against the law of nature. It goes against the biblical law, and we're going to have to have these reparations, and I think once we have them, we can move forward as a nation uh, together and one people, Uh What I have have, uh, proposed is that we have a center similar to the, if you saw the movie Deacons for Defense, uh, we have some kind of academy where we are preparing blacks because just last night there was another killer in Atlanta. You need to know how to uh, interact with the police and and members of the criminal justice system, uh, and you need to know how to defend yourself uh, properly. Uh, uh, You have the right to resist uh, any unlawful arrest. You have the right to... your ground when eventualities come after you uh the second amendment applies to blacks just as just as it does whites and so a lot of us are not comfortable with guns but it's either us or them and if they can if they gonna carry their guns and come after us we have the right to defend ourselves and we need to have a black justice and defense academy is what i'm proposing to get us ready because this is war i mean only the strong survive and i am sick of people getting away killing us with impunity i don't support violence but we have the laws to protect us and self-defense is uh is lawful and we need to stop being scared and stop being jellybacks because while maybe my child today could be yours tomorrow and we all need to be prepared and and fight fight to live and as the NAACP put out in the hashtag we are done dying and as the NBA has said the National Bar Association has said in no uncertain terms we will live enough is enough and time is out for time out for foolishness we're going to live
0: and that's very that's very, that, that's very uh, eloquent, doc, uh, Judge. And, and I want to definitely say this to you. If, if there's any way in our own defense can help as you build this this center of excellence, as you build this and develop this, please count on us. Uh, this, right, Dr. Tarver? Please Absolutely. count on us and allow us to be, whether we're professors or any role that you, you need us, development, board members, please include us. We know that you birthed amazing things, and we know that God's going to bless you to birth this into something incredible. Uh, we know the talent that you have and the talented team that you have around you, so we're really excited about that. Uh, uh, Dr. Tarr, did you have any final words before we uh, judge Moore to give us his his contact information?
2: Well, definitely. I appreciate you, Judge, addressing the mental health concerns, and I and I, that is an area uh, that I, I know that we have to move forward with decriminalizing mental health, but also training for our judges. um, That I I recognize that a lot of psychologists actually used to provide training and then agencies started cutting funding to psychologists, but we stopped providing that training and I see the training has disappeared. And so one of those areas you mentioned are are some things that we need to look at and and reevaluate how we want to uh, move forward. That's one of the things that has to happen. We have got to have licensed providers conducting these trainings for for anti-bias, for judges, for police officers, for anybody that's an officer of the law, um, whether that's in the in the in the court system or or any other system. And that's missing. And as long as that's missing, people won't be able to address some of these systemic issues. So that is one area that if you're not considering for your um, institute, I hope that you do, that mental health okay. piece, that's a vital piece, and I would do everything in my power to support that. Um, and work with, with local therapists in the area to to provide any kind of training that we can. Well,
1: I appreciate that, Dr. Tarver. We take you up yeah. on it as well.
2: Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Well, uh, this has been another episode of In Our Own Defense Podcast. We are your host, Dr. Uh, Tarver, and myself, Attorney AD Winters, uh, we've been discussing racism and administration of justice with Judge Carlos Moore. Judge Moore, uh, can you please tell us uh, how our listeners and, and, and viewers can reach out to you? How, how can they follow you on social media? Okay. Gladly.
1: I am on Instagram. It's Judge Carlos Moore. It's my handle on Instagram. I am on LinkedIn. as Judge Carlos Moore. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook under my name, Carlos Moore. I also have a, a, a Facebook page uh, under Judge Carlos Moore. I'm on Twitter as Esquire Moore, and uh, I think that is about it. You can find me on on the web at uh, www.cochranfirm.com, and uh, my uh, Cochran Firm MS Delta is my Instagram professional handle. Uh, So we'll be happy to communicate with you. A lot of my business and a lot of uh, cases come through social media because people will inbox me before they call me. So we will respond to all the messages, and we're happy to assist you.
0: Well, you've been doing groundbreaking work there in Mississippi in the Delta in Tennessee um, in the Mid-South, so we're lucky. Uh, we know uh, the people in Grenada are lucky to have uh, a fair person on the bench that is astute leader, uh, that doesn't have all these hangups. We know you are uh, you and your family are world-class. We're really proud uh, to know you. We're so thankful that you came on our show. Uh, we know you got another show to, get to do in a few minutes, but uh, this has been – uh, In Our Own Defense um, podcast. And uh, this concludes this episode of In Our Own Defense, where you host Attorney A.D. Winters and Dr. Dolores Tarver. Uh, for more information about our show, just go to Instagram at In Our Own Defense or Facebook at In Our Own Defense Facebook page, or you can email us at inourowndefense@gmail.com. at gmail.com.